Hey guys, this is Gloria Buckman Youngson, and you're listening to the Musings Over Coffee podcast. A short, candid, no fuss podcast for creative professionals where we're talking business, leadership, and personal development. Guys, today I am interviewing one of my favorite girl bosses, the incredible Jamila Abdullahi, creative director, editor, and founder of the award-winning website, circumspect.com. Jamila is a media and international development professional and economist by training, and she combines her business, communications, and project management expertise with her strong passion for Africa. Besides writing and reading, she enjoys to travel, she enjoys global cuisine, movies, and good design. Jamila, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I am really, really excited to have you here. But before we delve into today's conversation, can't you tell us a bit about yourself? Okay, thank you so much for having me. Um, It's great to see a podcast by a woman focused on business in Ghana. I think it's so important and um, it's great what you're doing so far. So a bit about myself. I'm Jamila and I'm the first of five kids. I was born in Nigeria but lived most of my life in Ghana. And um, I have a thing for, I guess you could say, the world. So I've done a lot of traveling. I really believe that there's a lot of overlap between people, despite our obvious differences or backgrounds. There's always something that two people will find in common, um, even if it's just the fact that we live on Earth. And then I also have a, a big thing for astronomy. I think in another life, I would have been an astrophysicist, but that didn't quite work out. Okay, that's an interesting dimension to you because this is the first time I'm hearing that you have ever been interested in astronomy. Yeah, um, I mean, it's a little known fact. I think I I mention it occasionally, but I've always been curious about the world and, and by extension, our universe. And I remember as a kid, my sister and I, we had this tradition every New Year's where we would basically stand in front of my stand on my parents' porch mm-hmm. and try to look back on the year and then imagine what the new year would bring. And I remember one time I was looking up at the stars and I asked my sister, I asked, do you think they see the same stars all over the world? And I mean, of course, she's younger than me. <laughs> she doesn't <laughs> have a background in any of that. So she didn't really respond, but... I feel like that was kind of my question to the universe or invitation to the universe allowing me to travel. And so I've, I've had the chance to, to see stars all over the world. <laughs> so, yeah, it's always, it's always been a thing for me. And I actually took a class in college on that, on astronomy. And by the end of the class, the teacher wanted me to be his teacher's assistant, but I was getting ready to graduate, so I I couldn't. So I just took the class too late. If I had taken it earlier in my college career, I probably would have ended up doing that. But I still want to be the first African woman in space, so. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think the stars say about you, Jamila? Oh, man, what do the stars, I think they're always, like, rooting for me. I think they're like my, there's this quote by Paulo Coelho, who's one of my favorite authors, Mm -hmm. and he says, the universe conspires on your behalf. And I really believe that. I think if you're committed to your path and finding your truth and purpose, you you just have all these stars and angels and, you know, these these people or energies or elements that support you and help 
make those dreams come to reality. So I really think that the stars, you know, they look down and they're like, oh, is she going to do it? Isn't she? How is she going to do it? And they're rooting for me. I believe that. Well, talking about stars, I am Capricorn. And and I understand that Capricorns are very strong-headed and very stubborn. And I think that that clearly defines who I am. I actually didn't do that with you when we met. Ask you what your sign is. So I usually do that with people. And if they say if they say they don't know, I'll try to guess. And sometimes I'm happy, or they'll say, "Oh, I'm this," and I'm like, "Okay, so this is how you are." So I'm a Cancer, and we get along with pretty much everybody. We have our days, so we can be very instead of extroverted, depending on the situation. Mm. Talking about personalities, tell me about some of your earliest childhood memories and how that shaped who you are today. Okay, earliest childhood memories. So I, my parents are both in the education space. My mom focuses on childhood development, so that's freshness, re-kindergarten, just she has a school and they do up to JSS, but she really has a focus on like early childhood development. And then my dad is on the other side of the spectrum. He focuses more on tertiary education and he focuses a lot on computer science and yeah, computer science is his area basically, informatics, IT is his space. So I grew up in a household where education was a big thing. We had books all over the place. Reading was a big thing as well. And research was a very big thing. So as a young girl, if for instance, I, I remember time I was trying to convince my parents to buy me, I don't remember what they used to call those shoes. I think they were like these loafer sneakers. I wanted one of those and I happened to see one at Medina Market. And so I came home to my, my parents and I was like, hey, um, I think I've fallen in love, and and they're like, what? And I'm like, no, I think I have. A, I found these pair of shoes, and I've like totally fallen in love with them. And basically, every single time myself or my my siblings wanted to do them, you had to prove to them why it was necessary or needed. They basically instilled with us this whole concept of doing your research before coming over to the pitch essentially mm. so then they're like okay well you have to convince us why you need this shoe so I had to go and think about you know why I needed this shoe and and the fact that you know it's kind of it's like sneakers but not exactly sneakers so I can wear it for many different things and it's very like I had to come up with all of that to just pitch it so research and taking the time to understand why you want to do certain things was mm. instilled in me from a very very young age Another thing is, so a lot of families in Ghana, and especially from northern Ghana, you see a dynamic where a lot of emphasis, um, at least back when I was growing up, I think it's changed a lot, but a lot of emphasis would have been put on the the guys going to school or the guys studying and having careers and so on. And it was a total opposite in my house because my both my parents were very big on education and worked in that space. So all of us essentially were encouraged to go to school and to take our studies extremely seriously. And my parents, they would not stop at anything if it came down to our education. They would do whatever they needed to do to invest in that. And I think that was that was something that was a big thing for, for me as well. And I compare it to a lot of the, the Kaya in Ghana, for example. And I just remind myself that that could have easily been me in another like in another life. I could have been a Kayayo who didn't have the opportunity to go to school and and my whole life could be entirely different. And so because of that, I try to share a lot of what I learned because I know that not everybody has the opportunity to be in 
specific spaces of learning and usually you will learn from from another person and so we're muslim and a big part of islam is the pursuit of knowledge and understanding yourself as an individual so i think that also shapes my focus on personal growth on on you know taking responsibility for oneself and trying to make the most of whatever circumstances you you find yourself in. Mm. Well, there are a few things that you have said that I can totally relate with, yeah. right? <laughs> Cuz I remember when I was when I was growing up, one of the highlights for me was when my dad took us to the Ghana Library Board. There was always books around the house and he would always encourage us to read and he when people ask me why I have poor eyesight, I always say to them, one of the reasons why I have poor <laughs> eyesight is because we would always find these really interesting books and try to finish it at night. So when my yes. parents turned off the light for us to go to bed, we would use the lamp outside of the house to try to read and finish the book. And so I'm laughing because I, I totally relate. I just, anyway, when you finish, I'll tell you one story. I got into serious trouble because of reading. Oh, Laura, tell me now. <laughs> so, um, so my mom was a teacher at... I went to Alfred Academy in Jolo, and so she was a teacher at the school. And I was I was a bookworm. Like these days, it's hard for me to call myself a bookworm because I don't read physical books as much as I used to. Mm. But I was a bookworm, and I was sitting in class uh, listening to the teacher. But I had a book under the desk, and I was reading. <laughs> Unfortunately for me, I was sitting near the window, and my mom happened to be walking past, and she saw me. And this woman walks into the class and is like, excuse me, Mr. Labi. And Mr. Labi was the teacher teacher and sorry, Mr. Labi was a strict teacher as well. So she's like, excuse me, Mr. Labi. And she just walked all the way to my desk. This whole time, I didn't even realize she was in the classroom until she came and took the book away from me and said, you need to pay attention. <laughs> and yeah, and it was very, very embarrassing because, of course, you had all of my classmates there. And so on. So yes, I've gotten into trouble a lot of times because of reading when I was younger. So I totally relate on the reading in the dark when you should be sleeping. That is so me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Talking about experiences, what are some of the career experiences that you feel have shaped you also? Hmm. So I actually started working at a very early age. I did very early in relation to the fact that back then hmm. a lot of Ghanaian students didn't work right after like high school. I started working right after I graduated, so that was like 2004, mm-hmm. and I was working with a publishing company here in Accra. They no longer exist, but it was also my parents trying to be modern, trying to give us as much exposure as possible. And my very first paycheck was 500 Nana CDs, which at that time, for someone who just finished SSS, was more than enough, right? 500 as in 50 Ghana CDs, or as in 500? Oh, it was, so I think it was 500, oh God, I don't know, I don't I think it was 500,000 old CDs, I think, CDs, yeah. And so I got the job, a friend who was looking at the job decided she didn't want it, and so she suggested me. And so I went in for the interview, and I got the job. And my boss, her name is Julius, and she basically asked me, okay, how much would I want to earn for this job? Mm-hmm. And I hadn't done my research, like thought it through, because I probably would have done the job for free anyway. And so I ended up saying 500. And so she gave me first paycheck, and then she calls me in and says, you know what, I think based off of the kind of work you're doing, 
you could have asked for more. And that was the first time I learned that you could negotiate mm. for, for, your, for an offer, that the offer that they give you doesn't have to be the final amount you take home and that you could actually negotiate. So I learned that, thankfully, at a pretty early age. I think I was about, at that time, let's say 17 or 18 years old. So that was a good lesson to learn, especially since a lot of women in general have a hard time negotiating their salaries. And so it's something I always try to encourage people to do. Another thing, uh, I think right after college in the U.S., I went to college at Mahalo College in the U.S., and I was looking for jobs during the economic recession of 2008-2009, which was a very bad time to be graduating because even people in the U.S. didn't have jobs and were being laid off. Mm-hmm. And then here I am, an international student. So, I mean, why should they care about me, right? But I was really, really lucky to get a job with a company called DevEx, the Development Executive Corporation, mm-hmm. Development Executive Group, sorry. And they are the world's biggest platform for development professionals. They provide career, business, insights, and information, insights on foreign aid, and so on. And they're very, very big in Washington. That was my first proper job out of college. And while I was there, I had the opportunity to talk to a lot of policymakers, international policymakers, people who sit in Washington, D.C. and make decisions, and it affects the lives of millions in places like Africa or Asia, depending on what they're focused on. And I had the opportunity to interview them and have conversations with them. And in the newsroom, I became known as the person who could get an interview from anybody, right? Because <laughs> my, my editors would be trying to get an interview with certain people. And here I was at Common, I'd just be able to get the interview. So it really taught me how to, well, it taught me, first of all, that people like to be heard, mm. which is a very important thing, regardless of what career path you're in, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're an employee or an employer, people like to be heard and listened to. And people like to share their own experiences. And so that's why it's relatively, if you act in the right way, it's relatively easy to get people to actually share their story with you. It also taught me how to network and how to establish contact with people you haven't really had that exposure or experience with beforehand. And at the end of the day, we are all people. So even the president of the United States is a person. Mm-hmm. And I know that in a lot of circumstances, especially when we think of people who are most powerful, we find them to be not accessible or they're shrouded in this mystery and whatever. But the trick, I think, is to always find the common ground. And so if you can find common ground with people, then you can do things with them. You can work with them. You can collaborate. You can create magic. And that's another career piece I took. And I'll give a final one. Mm-hmm. It's I think when I was in Dakar, so after so working in D.C., I moved to Senegal, mm-hmm. and I was working with a women's NGO, and I mean, this was right after college. If someone was looking on paper, they would say that I'm underqualified for it, but I had a mentor who it was actually an NGO that she was heavily involved with, so she said, I believe in your ability to do this. I believe in your ability to run this NGO, which has branches and 10 plus countries in Africa and to lead that, even though I was probably less, I wasn't even 25 years at that point. And so I took up the charge. I headed up this NGO. We were able to raise over $200,000 in funding from grant makers during the economic recession. And just 
to be able to organize an event that brought together a lot of different women and girls from across Africa. Mm-hmm. And I think this is, it just shows the importance of mentorship, number one, mm-hmm. but also the importance of taking risks when it comes to your career. Part of being able to get these two opportunities, especially, was the fact that I had been blogging. I started blogging in 2007. Mm-hmm. And so I had a body of work by the time I was applying for jobs. And I always try to encourage people to create their own opportunities. And this is an example of creating your own opportunities. If you have an ideal job and you, you're not yet in the position to actually take that job or they're not paying attention to you, try and figure out what elements will be needed in that ideal job that you can start building yourself for today. So creating content, telling stories, sharing insights from my classes on what I learned about gender, economics, and so on. All of that, essentially, when I look back now, added up to making me ready for such an opportunity. And it's really paid off across my entire career, I would say. Mm. You know, as you told, I found myself nodding. (laughs) I have been nodding throughout your entire submission because I feel that this is one of the areas where a lot of young people struggle with currently. I find that all of the people coming out of university or even higher education now are so bent on, you know, going big right from the start. And so you yeah. will find that a young graduate from the university, any of the universities here in Ghana will finish and just want to land this top managerial position, which is going to pay them huge sums of money. Forgetting that the experience that probably you will get from an area where you wouldn't normally consider will probably be the launch pad for you when you are eventually ready to manage other people. So absolutely, this is, this is one of the things that I totally agree with you on. What I want to ask you as well, Jamila, while she talked about that, one of the things that I picked on from knowing you is that you are incredible at nurturing relationships not just business relationships, but just generally you are really good at nurturing relationships. And I feel like even if I don't speak to you in a year, we are going to pick up right from where we stop talking and it feels as if we have talked forever. Yeah. Do you have any tips on that, on nurturing business relationships? Yeah, business relationships-wise, definitely. Personal relationships, some of it falls under, like through the cracks, but you, you can't really pick everything up so you you do you do what you can. But on business relationships, I think the main thing is when a lot of people try to get in touch with other people for business purposes, they usually do it because they want a service or they want they want something. And between the first time they wanted that something and the next time they want they want something else, there's very little communication. There's very little interaction. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's where a lot of us can do better. So I'll give an example. If, for instance, I've worked with a company on a project in, let's say, let's say five years ago, mm-hmm. and I see that they're organizing an event this week, even though I might not send them an email directly or give them a phone call directly, it's as simple as sharing the information they have about that event. And then taking a chance to say, oh, I see that you're having this event. I shared it with a couple of people and I wish you all the best. That's mm-hmm. simple. It doesn't have to be a long drawn out conversation. It doesn't have to be even sit down. You don't have to see the person in person. So especially today where we have digital tools, 
that is an opportunity to better nurture such relationships. Another thing that can be done is if, for instance, you know that there's somebody who you established some kind of a professional relationship with, and you had a conversation and you found out that they care about astronomy, and there's a solar eclipse that's coming up, and maybe they're giving a few tips on how you can actually um, participate in the solar eclipse, uh, in watching the solar eclipse. You can just share that that information and say, hey, I you. you mentioned that you were interested in this. I thought this would be of some value to you and, and send it over. So I think bottom line is you need to figure out how can you add value to the people who you've established these business relationships with in the short term and not just wait to get in touch with them when you want something else because then it becomes a, a situation whereby they think you only get in touch with them when you want something and there are some people who I feel that way about I feel that they only come get in touch with you when they want something and so they never actually interested in anything else other than what they can get from you very few people will reach out to you actually ask you oh, how are you doing and mean it or just ask you how are you doing and, and that's it they're just checking in on you it's a bit of nurturing the personal aspect of business relationships. That's the element that tends to be a bit missing. When I receive notifications from certain people, I know, oh, here we go. What do you want to yeah. tell me? Because I find yeah, it really exactly. annoying for somebody to come ask me, how are you doing? And not even wait for me to say how I'm doing before they launch into, I need this from them. Yes, exactly, exactly. So um, there was a, there's a, a lady who recently moved to Ghana, and I get a lot of people who are moving home or have moved home who get in touch to kind of just get a sense of the lay of the land. And so this, this is one of those people who got in touch with me, and she was interested in freelancing. So I agreed to have a, a coffee date with her, and we sat down, and it was supposed to be 30 to 45 minutes. I ended up spending three hours with this lady. She was asking a lot of questions, and I was like, okay, you know what? Let me just give her my full attention, and, and then we'll do it. And she has all the information she needs. Now, after that conversation, there was a, an opportunity that I wasn't able to fully deliver on. So I figured, oh, we could work together to deliver on that opportunity. And so I go through the process of convincing the client that this is someone who does work that might of use to them. And we need us to have a conversation about that particular opportunity. And after we're done talking about it, she goes off again with all these questions, basically doing the same thing that she did the first time, like trying to eat into time. And I had to tell her, I said, listen, I have already let you know that if you want to have a proper consultation, we can have a proper consultation. The first time, yes, we had a, a conversation about it. But now it's eating into my own time. Mm-hmm. And it was just a lot of her asking and then not actually giving anything back. And so that relationship quickly started feeling parasitic. And so very quickly, I told myself, you know, this is someone who is, who is not looking to make it a two-way relationship. It's someone who's just trying to take as much as they can from you and invest it. Mm. And it's important to be, we talked about self-care during our conversation. I think it's like, it's important to know and notice those people and then figure out how you want to interact with those people as well. Because not all business or professional relationships necessarily add value to you. 
Very true. The last bit that you said, really, I think it's an issue with entitlement. A lot of, <laughs> seriously, a lot of people feel entitled to people's time simply for the fact that, okay, this person is up there and they seem to be doing really good and what I hope to do in the future. And therefore, I am entitled to their time and to sit with them and pick their mind. I don't mind people picking my brain, but when I feel it's being taken for granted, then I start to close down. See, nobody likes to feel like they're being taken advantage of. Absolutely. That's yes. where it comes down to. Yeah. How are you able to say no to people without feeling guilty for it? Well, before learning to say no to other people, I think I had to learn how to say yes to myself. So mm-hmm. part of the reason why I ended up leaving my corporate job in 2015 was because I felt like even with the projects I did under my website, Circumspect, it was always projects for other people. If I helped organize an event, it was an event for other people. If I did consultations, it was consultations for other people. If I featured people on the platform, it was featuring other people doing their work. And so I got to a point where I was like, I mean, I'm all about nurturing one another and highlighting the good work that people are doing because I think a lot of people in Ghana are doing really good work. But it was hard for me to be okay with highlighting the work that I was also doing. When I started, I didn't have a grand plan or anything. I was just trying to see what I could do with it, how I could explore my own interests and where it would go. And the minute I let people know that I had left my job or I was leaving my job, it's amazing how quickly people wanted to fill up my time. It was like mind-boggling. People will come and say, oh, I have this project. I want you to be on it. Or oh, you think you should run for this leadership position on this network? I was like, no, like I didn't leave one to just jump right into another. And so that's when I started learning to say no and to let them know that, oh, I'm trying to focus on my own project this time. So currently, no, if it changes in the future, I'll let you know. And of course, over time, you end up saying yes to things that you shouldn't necessarily, as you mentioned, either because you feel guilty in some way, or because someone asks really, really nicely and they're an amazing person and you don't want to let them down. Sometimes you feel like if you're not doing anything, then you're no longer significant. There's an element of not feeling significant if you're not seen doing things. I feel like there's some elements of that in there. Last year was a crazy year for me. It was a great year, but it was extremely busy. So last year was my year of teaching. I was doing a lot of speaking engagements. I did a lot of workshops and training. And my whole idea there was to empty myself of all of the insights. Well, all that putting it to be too grand with it. With a lot of the insights and lessons that I've learned over the years and sharing as much of that as I could. I probably did like over 20 plus speaking engagements in Ghana, a few outside Ghana, just to be able to share that. And then obviously when you do that nonstop, you get burnt out. So by August, I was ready for the year to end, which it didn't. So coming into 2018, I decided to do the opposite thing. And so 2018 is actually my year of no. And what that means is unless an opportunity or an offer is very tied to very specific things that I've identified that I want to do this year, I'm going to say no. I've already had to turn down 10 plus of such opportunities to speak and just try to focus, really. Mm. Because if you're all over the place, yes, you're able to do a lot. But the question is, are you able to 
to do the things that matter the most, either personally or for your business. For mm-hmm. me, I find that when you offer a service that is literally built around you as a person and requires you to be fiscally available to the majority of your clients, it's a great momentum to be at. And you yeah. want to capitalize on that because you feel like, okay, these are relationships that I'm forming outside of business. But if somebody came to me and they wanted me to, let's say, work on their wedding, they wanted mm-hmm. to hire me as a, a wedding planner. It's not just a wedding for me. It has to have meaning. So in as much as I want to be able to take on these projects, I want to take on weddings if, because I find weddings exciting. If I meet a bride-to-be and I find that I'm not getting the right vibe from them, I literally mm-hmm. will go back and say, thank you so much for taking the time to meet me. I feel we are not a good fit for each other. Yeah. However, this and this person are people that I'm happy to recommend to you. If I'm not excited about a project, I don't want to do it. And so I'm finding that I'm doing fewer projects because I want to work yeah. with clients who, after their weddings, we can sit over coffee. Have we can sit precisely. We can sit and have a chat. We can sit and have a meal. One of my brides from was last year, two years ago, Yom is a friend. Yeah. I was chatting with one of my brides as well, Delali, whose wedding we planned about three, four years ago. She's going to be back in Ghana in May, and we are planning coffee dates and lunch dates. That's the kind of relationship I want. I don't want, want to be yeah. purely business. If it doesn't have any meaning for me, I don't want it. I totally agree with you. And I like what you said about it's not so much just relationships. It's mm-hmm. meaningful relationships. Mm-hmm. Okay. When I see you, Jamila, you to me are an example of someone who's able to set goals and smash them. Do you have any tips on goal setting and productivity that you can share with us? It's always funny to hear how other people perceive you, especially <laughs> on goal setting. I suck at it. I, I, look, it's like I try, and I, and then I think it's also a question. It's a question of your process, I think. Because I try, for example, I create content and I do trainings on creating content. And in those trainings, I tell other people that, oh, you may want to have a content schedule to plan in advance what content you're going to be putting out. But then I always have to give them a disclaimer that I don't do that because it doesn't work for me. But I think when it comes to goal setting, people will say there are lots of different goals that you can have. You can have your overall goals, and then you can have very, very specific goals. I think I do better working with overall goals. And then if it's like a project, then I'll have specific goals. So I'm not good at, I'm trying now, actually. I got a, a weekly planner, which I started using, and I haven't used in the past three weeks. Just so you know how bad I get with this stuff. Um, but I, I try as much as possible to have a general sense of what am I trying to achieve this For example, for the first quarter of this year, I really just wanted to focus on doing a bit more internal work, trying to figure out what direction certain sites should be going in, trying to figure out by the end of the year, what are the things that we should have achieved. So those are like my overall goals. And then I look at what are the things that I care about? So Women's Month is something that I care about and I've spoken about throughout the years, but I've never actually done a very focused project throughout the month. So I do one or two things, but never actually focused throughout the month. And so that's how come the, the Sisterhood Matters um, Facebook Live conversations, for example, came up. 
And it was a good lesson for me as well, because a lot of the time you look at the grand thing and you think about, oh my God, there's so much work involved. And that stopped me from actually starting. But knowing that every week we had to have a Facebook Live conversation, it kind of made it a little easier to handle. So I think in as much as we think of big goals and how to set those big goals, we also should find a balance and try to break them up into small pieces that we can digest throughout a, a specific period of time. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm there. No, this is the one area that is it's ironic for me because I really just think the stars, like I told you, the stars are out there. It's like for me. So these things happen, honestly. But a lot of, I think also another thing is to be comfortable with the not knowing. You know, factor in that flexibility so that, if things don't go A, then you have a general sense of what B will be. It's akin to, you know, when we're planning events, it usually will go with a checklist of things that we hope to be able to accomplish over a certain time. So we know that, okay, this event is 12 months away. In the first month, we want to be able to have done this. In the sixth month, yeah. we should have done this. To me, that's what comes to mind. Checking off yeah. the checklist to the point where eventually you have accomplished that big goal. No, definitely, yeah. When you mm-hmm. when you think about goals, I want you to also share with us how you are able to create balance and still enjoy what you do and still have fun and still go out there and just be able to switch off and have a good time. How do you do it? Okay, so someone had asked me recently, what do I do for fun? And it took me a very, very long time to answer that question. I think for me... The main thing is to create time for yourself. So while I was working with the African Development Bank, for example, that schedule was probably the busiest schedule I've ever had during my time working at the African Development Bank. So much such that I didn't have as much time to write on my website. And throughout college, I always had time to write on my website. So that gives you an example of how little time I left to do something that I really, really enjoyed doing. So what I eventually had to do over time was, fine, you say that during the work week, I'm there in the office, I'm ready to work, I will work from 8 to 5, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. But after 5, you're not going to see me. Those boundaries are so important. You need to learn how to leave work at home when you're leaving work. Another thing is to you need to set expectations. If, for example, someone sends you an email, and many of us will... You'd be working on one thing and then an email comes in and then you totally divert and start (laughs) responding to the email Mm. or start doing whatever the email is asking you to do. And that was something that I also used to do a lot, but it was counterproductive for me because I was doing a lot of event planning and organizing and it doesn't like, it, it messes with your thought process. So what I had to start doing was figure out chunks of time that I would check email. I would check email, let's say if I got to work at 9 a.m., I would check email, let's say for the first 30 to 45 minutes and respond to emails in that period of time. Then I'm working until, let's say, just after lunch, before I settle down again, I check email. And then in the evening around 4 o'clock, again, I check email. And so when you do that, it allows you periods of time for you to, to actually work uninterrupted to a degree. And then that way, you don't go home feeling like the whole day was spent doing emails or being in, in, in meetings and I didn't actually do the work I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And so now that I'm going home, it's now that I'm going to get work done. Yeah. So that's another thing. Also, scheduling 
uh, and we we spoke about this, Gloria. Scheduling is scheduling is based because it really makes your life easier. Mm-hmm. And the same way that we'll schedule like business related things or professional related things, in the same way we should schedule like personal things. For instance, if I'm going to meet up, if, if I have a conversation with a friend and I'm going to visit them, we have the conversation, but I'm going to schedule it. It's going to be on my calendar. And then I'm going to, if possible, I'll share that event on my calendar with whoever I'm seeing. So we both have it on our calendar. And it's more likely to happen than if you don't, because then it's in flux and you don't actually know if you've done it or not. Final thing, I think it's important to pace yourself, just in general. To realize that you are just human being with so many elements to you. And yes, we like to think that we're superhuman, but we're not. Mm-hmm. And so you need to be flexible with yourself. Mm-hmm. If, for example, you talked about having a very rough week. I had one of those weeks in March. I went on this client trip to Ivory Coast. By the time I came back to Accra, I felt like I had been hit by two airplanes. <laughs> And I, I, I literally had nothing left to give because I had overextended myself. Mm. Um, I didn't take the time off for myself that I needed to take. And the immediate inclination once I got back was to get right back into catching up on all these other things that I was supposed to have done but wasn't able to do. Mm. But I had to take a pause. So I had to, I actually emailed my clients and said, you know, I just got back from a trip. I'm a little behind schedule. I'll have to get back to you on this date. Mm-hmm. And we think that we cannot do that, which is why we, a lot of the time, will overextend ourselves because we don't want to disappoint other people. But what I've learned over the years is if you cannot be performing at your optimum, you're not going to deliver optimal work. If you don't take care of yourself and your health, if you don't schedule and factor that in, your general well-being, spending time talking to a friend, there, I mean, there are all these studies on it, I'm not even going to try to quote them, but they actually add to your overall sense of well-being and significance, and that in, in turn affects your productivity. So if you're not able to do those things and take care of yourself, then you cannot take care of other people. And I think people who probably fall into this a lot will be mothers, mothers who also work will probably find themselves in such a situation where they're taking care of everybody but themselves. And a lot of the time, it doesn't even have to be like a trip out of town. It doesn't have to be trying to book a spa day or anything like that. It can be something as simple as in the morning, when you wake up, just spend 30 minutes to check in with yourself. I tend to do that during my morning walks. I take morning walks um, at least four times a week. And during that hour, I could be listening to a podcast on something I care about, or I could be listening to music or or just thinking. And so that mental process alone helps you take care of yourself. And then it's a question of who do you enjoy spending your time with? If there are people who give you that kind of value, those are the people you should spend the time with. If it's watching a film or watching a documentary or whatever it is that adds to your general sense of well-being, create the time to do that. Some people like to cook and that they find that relaxing. You need to take time to check in with yourself, ask yourself how you're doing, ask yourself why you feel a certain way about certain things, and then try to be with the people who nurture you. Try to be with the people who, as you mentioned, you get a good vibe from. Mm. And be intentional about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think those are some of the, the things I've learned on that phone. 
I obviously don't want this conversation to end, but I suppose all good things do still have to come to an end. Before you go, can you give me three books that you're happy to recommend to everyone listening? Definitely. Yeah. So first book is The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho. Another book that I keep going back to is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Yeah. Amazing book. And then a third book that I can recommend is Quiet by Stephen King. And it basically talks about how introverts can thrive. So people like myself who tend to re-energize inwardly or internally, how we can use our introversion to thrive and empower ourselves. Mm. That's definitely a book that I'm going to read. No, you really should. (laughs) What is your favorite music? Hey, please, you're asking me to choose. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, tell us three. Oh, God, really? Okay, I like music, and I'll listen to it. I'll listen to literally anything. These days, I I like a lot of alternative music, actually. So by someone like Zach Punk, um, and then also, like, those definitely, some people think it's weird music, but I really like it. Someone like The Weeknd. I also like... Just world music, so I listen to music from Senegal, for example, Eastern Europe, or listen to music from Latin America. I can't be very specific on that. Like, I just listen to I like music, and I listen to music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, by telling, like, Niger music. I um, know. I was waiting for you to say Niger music, man. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Jamila, it's been such a pleasure speaking to you. I have enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much. You have been so generous with your time and I am grateful for it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. And if you know anyone who will benefit from this podcast, please share with them so they can listen too. I look forward to connecting with you all again soon. Until then, keep it real, keep safe, and stay top down. Bye-bye.